Michael Massad's here. <clears throat> if uh, All right. Michael, if if he has any if he has any questions, you have any questions for me? Cool. All right. Yeah. All right. So God God caused a mist to ascend from the earth. The first rain came in response to man's prayer. Any thoughts? Man's prayer influenced the rain to start, but it could be. Yeah, you see, I, I don't, you know, I understand that you're trying to maybe say that that's like too much magical and stuff, but at the same time, like I feel like, first off, that could have a metaphorical significance. Second off, I'm not gonna discount that that's possible. You know, first off, there's like the rain dances that people used to do, but then also like if everything is really connected in a really mystical manner beyond just like the energy type of thing, is I think that's possible. Yeah. You know, could be like a, an, even like a, a kind of dream world type of thing, but but there there might be some like real significance, like metaphor behind that. Like the first rain came in response. Maybe, maybe rain like is symbolic or something. Maybe that's like symbolic of like grace or something. You know, and and it could yeah. be literal too because the both can can intertwine. But and it doesn't. So it says, God formed man out of soil from the earth. In creating God, gathered soil from the entire earth from all four directions so that whatever man would, whatever wherever man would die, the earth would accept him for burial. Any thoughts? No. He blew into his nostrils. <laughs> yeah. He blew into his nostrils a living soul. The scriptural analogy illustrates that the soul contains a deeper manifestation of divinity than the rest of the world. Since it was blown out from God's innards rather than from <coughs> rather than the more superficial creative method of divine speech. When you blow, you exhale from deep inside your body. Any thoughts? Yeah, that's a good metaphor. In the case of animals and plants, God created the soul and body together as a single unit. In creating man, uh, yeah, or the soul is uh, simply so high in comparison to the body that it could not reasonably be formed as a single unit. Rather, a separate act of God was required to achieve the astounding union between them. Any thoughts? No. In the first account of Adam's creation, we are told that man was made in the image of God, but we are not informed how his body was fashioned, only why he was created. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and take control of it. Here in the second account of Adam's creation, this emphasis on controlling the world is lacking. Instead, we find a greater insight into the interior workings of man. He blew into his nostrils a living soul. Any thoughts? No, the only, <clears throat> the only thought I have is I never understood that as man having control. <coughs> He's having dominion, not domination. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Any thoughts No. It says, these two accounts speak of two distinct types of men that exist within us all. Adam, the first, is a creator. He expresses his divine image through practical activity in the world. Adam, the first, is not busy with the metaphysical questions of life. He is concerned only with <clears throat> how and not the why. From <clears throat> For his, for him, dignity, divine image is translated as control. Fill the earth and take control of it. Any thoughts? Yeah, well, that's two 
two parts. The magnificent ego and the transcendent um, seeker. Any other thoughts on it? No. It says, Adam II asks why the living soul breathed into his nostrils by God indicates his primary concern with the spiritual and divine. He is not a practical creative being, but one interested in introspection and self-discovery. Contemporary man, any thoughts? <clears throat> yeah, that's, that's the second. Don't, that's the transpersonal part. So the first part was interpersonal? Well, no. Yeah, it manifests itself that way, but it's just that it's the development of the ego becoming strong enough to transcend that. So this contemporary man has failed to take notice of the duality in Adam. The creative enterprises of our civilization have led us to deny that Adam the second exists. Man ties to religion motivated by desire for introspection and redemption but to further his sense of dignity and success for this reason contemporary majestic man stands as an incomplete being any thoughts no. uh, god planted a garden in eden god did not initially create man within the garden of eden rather he placed him there afterwards this was in order that man should see how unpleasant the world was so that he should not imagine that the entire world was as beautiful as eden any thoughts What do you think about that? Well, I never thought of that before. Could be. Says, As a result of being brought into Eden from the outside, man would recognize the kindness of God had performed for him by placing him in Eden. Any thoughts? <clears throat> uh, so here's a Kabbalah bite. When you pray to God, it is not merely the that God listens to your prayers from above and responds accordingly. The process of prayer itself refines you spiritually, rendering you a suitable receptacle for additional divine blessings. The receipt of a blessing is the direct outcome of sincere focused prayer. Any thoughts? <clears throat> yeah, well, that's a good understanding of prayer, at least as I understand it. That I used to always say prayer is not doing something to God in order to get to God to do something for you, but it's doing something to yourself so that you can become receptive to what God is already doing. So this process is mirrored he in... Just, he, he just said it. He just said it in another more rhapsodic way. So this process is mirrored in the physical world by the method in which rain is formed. Rain is not a new entity that is formed in heaven, but rather the same mist that ascends from the ground, forms clouds, and eventually condenses into rain, which showers back onto the earth. Any thoughts? <clears throat> so it says uh, 15 and settled him in the garden of Eden God enticed him with pleasant words and persuaded him to enter it is not good that man is alone people might mistakenly assume there are two dominions God alone rules over the upper worlds and he has no partner and man is the sole ruler of the lower worlds and he has no partner the creation of man differed from the creation of other living species in that man was created as a single individual unlike the other living creatures which were created in pairs it was god's design that the human race all humans everywhere and at all times should know that we all descend from the one and the same single progenitor a fully developed human being created in the image of god so that not not no human being could claim superior ancestral origin any thoughts 
sounds like another metaphor for oneness. This would make it easier to cultivate a real feeling of kinship in all interhuman relationships. Says, I will make him a helpmate opposite him. If he is worthy, she will be a helpmate. If he is not worthy, she will be against him to fight him. Any thoughts? <clears throat> Whatever the man called each living thing remained its name forever. A Hebrew name tells you something about an entity's essential qualities. In his great wisdom, Adam was able to discern the correct name for each species through observing its nature. Any thoughts? Yeah, an appropriate name is symbolic of the qualities of the object or the subject being named. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't. <coughs> so the Zohar teaches that a man, uh, Kabbalah. So Zohar teaches that a man and his wife are in essence two halves of the same body. So according to Kabbalah, it would not be correct to say that women are exempt from some of the commandments incumbent on men. Rather, as Rabbi Isaac Luria writes, once the man has observed the commandments, there is no need for the woman to do it separately, for she has already she was already included with him when he carried out the command. Any thoughts? That's very interesting. Yeah, what do you think about that? <clears throat> well, yeah, that's, again, another metaphor for oneness. What yeah. blesses one blesses all. Yeah, it isn't, but, but you know, some people, I think that they make that into like a superior, inferior thing where women are, 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 aren't supposed to do a lot of the commandments, but the man does more of them, and the woman like does more of the other stuff but she doesn't do a lot of those commandments. So that, that can become like an inferior, superior thing. But at the same time, what he's saying though is it's, it's more of a oneness type of thing in that aspect. So if any, yeah. so that could be like ingraining a oneness notion. But at the same time though, what, what about how do we reconcile that? That to where some people say, well, well the, you know, like the woman isn't necessarily have to have to study the Torah or the woman doesn't have to go in the morning to the to to or to the Shabbat thing or whatever is that a superior inferior thing or is if, it, if you're looking at it through this perspective is that beneficial any thoughts <clears throat> yeah, well I think it's the latter which is the beneficial we all we all have each of us has a role to play in the symphony mm -hmm. in the ballet but is it is it accurate to to designate the different roles with man and woman? Because since there is so much variation between both sexes, you know, any thoughts? Yeah, that's a good question. But, but, but see, it's like it's like in an, in an orchestra. Some people don't have the amateur to play a brass instrument, but they can play a reed instrument. So. Well, I mean, this is something that I heard. I heard that, like, in, in orchestras, the woman often isn't isn't expected to be, like, the first bass or whatever or, the, or the, like, the, the first thing because, like, they don't expect her to be strong enough. But they say that, that that's wrong because it's discrimination type of thing. So they've done, like, now they're trying to do, like, blind tests where, like, men and women will, will do the – what is it called when, when they when – they, uh, When, when, when they're the, the people listen to them to see if they're audition. Good. Audition, yeah. They do like blind auditions. Like, what do you think about that? But I mean, in, in this case, I don't know. I'm, I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to reconcile that. Is it, is it, 
superior inferior or is this like just a concession and maybe if it's seen through this lens of okay one is like <clears throat> they're both one so if one's doing it then the other if, if that's if it's seen through that lens then maybe that's actually increasing transpersonal consciousness i don't know what do you think any thoughts yeah well to see i've seen many orchestras and there are there are first chair women who are first chair and men who are first chair but uh, it tends to say in the brass sections it tends to more often for the man to be the first chair mm. i think that has a lot to do with the fact that it requires much more strength much more wind power and lung power yeah but then people are saying though like well, how much of that is that women are physically less and how much of it is cultural because women, you know, aren't expected to, to lift weights and, you know, exercise as much as men in our culture. Uh, in fact, like in our culture, women are, are seen more positively for more passive in a lot, a lot of cases, right? Or in culture in general. Like, so yeah, how that tends to be a culture, that tends to be a cultural so, 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 like, you know, the question is, like, is it really that there's that much of a difference? Like, I mean, like, the same thing with, like, firefighters. Like, people say, yeah, men tend to be stronger, but still a woman's strength is sufficient to do the job. Like, is, is I don't know. I mean, it's a, it's a tough, it's a tough thing. Like, any thoughts on that? probably best to not think in terms of whether it's a man or a woman yeah. it's most to think in terms of how well the person executes so that's where a blind audition is much more beneficial so so when when the when the orthodox jews are doing that stuff where the like the woman doesn't go to the study you know the she doesn't do those things because a man doing the the mitzvah is like when a man does goes to the and he does those rituals during the during the holiday he's doing it for the woman if it's done through this lens through this perspective then it's still transpersonal consciousness or do you think that i mean obviously it could ingrain a little bit of superior inferior software but if they maybe see it through this paradigm maybe not i don't know what do you think well i'm sure it's I'm sure it's seen both ways. Different people see, see it in different ways. Like we were talking yesterday or the day before about um, the, the princes needing to be kissed by the, by the male prince. See, that can be interpreted interpersonally or transpersonally. The same metaphor. How could it be interpreted transpersonally? discover the secret to getting caught up in the flow and what the prince represents the flow yeah well it represents the fact that there is something happening to which we need into which we need to tap well, why don't we have any any movies where the prince is kissed by the princess the prince turns into a frog and then he's kissed by the princess yeah that's, yeah, that's a good good question Maybe it's probably culturally influenced. So it says Adam, uh, spiritual vitamin. Adam was placed in the garden to cultivate it and to guard it. 
And only after that did God tell him, you may eat freely from every tree of the garden. Do not strive towards a state of life in which you can enjoy the maximum pleasure with the minimum effort. Human nature is such that you derive true pleasure only if you, you are a partner in its attainment through your own exertion. If you receive it entirely gratis, it is degrading to you, as though you were receiving charity, bread of shame. And the harder you, the work, the sweeter the taste, taste the fruit of achievement. Hey, Dawson. Yeah, harder. In other words, the higher the AQ, the aliveness quotient. Yeah, that's that's definitely true, huh? If, if you like work really, really hard at it, and then and then you see the fruits come, it's like whoa. It's almost like magical type of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So it says, through merely seeing the physical animal, Adam was able to determine its spiritual source. Any thoughts? No. <clears throat> Man's naming the animals connected the spiritual source of each creature with its existence on the physical plane. God Almighty God built the side that he had taken from man into a woman. Understanding, Bina, spelled Bet, Yod, Nun, He, has the same etymology as the term God built. Spelled Yod, Bet, Nun, <clears throat> implying that he granted women understanding. This teaches you that God has endowed women with more understanding than men. Any thoughts? No. So is that is that superior, inferior thinking, or... <clears throat> no, I don't think so. So what is that then? It's, it's, it's just saying that people are different, but people could still get in the flow, despite their different qualities? Yeah, that, yeah that's what I... Just like the instruments in a symphony are different, but they all are expressing the same idea. But like like again though when I when I think of you know someone saying okay women are have more understanding I think of that as a generalization like okay but what about some men who have more understanding than some women you know so wouldn't you say that that's the case in, in some cases so or is he is he is he is he, is he is he is he saying this in terms of in terms of like estimates like a higher percentage percentages a higher percentage of women have more understanding you think that that's what he's saying yeah i don't know so i mean i mean i think i think this is what the orthodox why why they will justify like they separate the men and the women they'll put the women at the top of the place and they'll say oh it's because women have actually more understanding and we elevate them but then at the same time i think okay that that could be, maybe maybe a ritual. But what's what? What do you think about that? Well, again, I think it's it appears to be flavored by this whole idea of making a distinction between men and women, rather than seeing that even though we have differences, we're all the same the same potential okay. <clears throat> but we'll play the, we'll play the idea differently in the symphony mm -hmm. so so you think, that's something, you think that's something 
I mean, but it, it could it could be a ritual of you know separating so that there's not like sexual stuff or anything, and, and it could be a ritual and not done as superior or inferior, right? So it says, did God perhaps say the serpent's question is written with a dismissive tone, minimizing the significance of God's command and denigrating the consequence of transgressing it? Did God perhaps say, is it really so terrible if you do not listen to him? Simply minimizing the importance of the Torah can lead you to become lax in observing it. And it does. No, read that last sentence again. It says. Simply minimizing the importance of the Torah can lead you to become lax in observing it. <clears throat> yeah, that's true. Yeah, what, what do you think about that? Just what it says. So, so, so you should be like, you know, you should understand that this, this is very significant. These these rituals and also may they have a, like a, a potency. They could even connect. I mean, I would say that just saying, okay, they're just rituals and they help you to get in the flow because it's taking you out of your habits and circumstances and relationships. I would say that, that could be minimizing it. Whereas I would say if you can understand that they actually might align you with some divine mystical potency and reality that can actually, you know, transform the the matrix in various ways, you know, maybe that would, that might be even an aspect of it that really even is transpersonal because that's getting you into some sort of, you know, mystical nexus. Like any thoughts on that? Yeah, well, that, that, that's precisely what I see ritual to be. It's, it's, it's a truth. It's, it's, it's reality. It's truth obeyed inadvertently or not yet fully understood, but obeyed. So it has it has a power. Any other thing? No. It says your eyes will be open and you will be like God with the ability to create worlds and knowing good and evil. Any thoughts? What do you think about the ability to create worlds? Any thoughts? It says the Kabbalah teaches that all of our souls were included in the universal soul of Adam. This means presumably that we were also there at the moment Adam sinned and ate from the tree of knowledge. Why then did he did we not stop from eating? Any thoughts? It says we had to let him eat the fruit because otherwise the serpent's lie would have remained un, unrefuted. The serpent had promised, "Your eyes will be opened and your and you will be like God with the ability to create worlds." And no one get an evil. So Adam had to eat the fruit to prove that he would remain a human being and no more. Any thoughts? No. That's a different way of understanding that whole metaphor. Different from what I understood. So what do you think of that way of looking at it, though? So it says in the in the su supernal realms, uh, Kabbalahites in the supernal realms, both din, severity, and hesed, love are always a good thing. Down here, however, the world cannot always tolerate severity unless it has undergone tikkun, spiritual healing. Any thoughts? The Kabbalah teaches that Adam had a first wife, Lilith, who was rooted in din. She soon passed away as the young, fresh world was not yet ready for harshness. Eve, Adam's second wife, was rooted in Hesed. 
the two wives are alluded to. Any thoughts? I never knew that, that there were two wives. Yeah. Any thoughts, man? No. It says the two wives are alluded to here. The hard bone from my bone, Lilith, and the softer flesh from my flesh, Eve. And this second wife, Eve, shall be called woman. Any thoughts? <clears throat> So it says. Does he say what, what, uh, <coughs> what uh, verse, chapter, and verse that's from? Uh, yeah, it's it's the Genesis chapter three, but I don't know what verse. Hmm. Or no, Genesis chapter two twenty three. Two twenty three. Two twenty three. I have to check that out. I I've never noticed that. Yeah. And it doesn't? No. So seven, they sewed together fig leaves from the tree and made themselves loincloths. Rabbi Nehemiah said, the tree from which Adam and Eve ate was a fig tree, for it is logical that the thing with which they sinned, the fig, became the means through which the damage was repaired when they sewed together fig leaves as clothing. Any thoughts? Yeah, I'm not sure what understanding that whole metaphor to mean. Yeah, I mean, well, it's kind of poetic regardless. Like, the thing that they used to sin was also the thing that they used to repair, right? And I'm, I'm thinking of, like, that, that can be applied to a lot of things in the world, probably, right? Yeah. Um, like, I can't think of any specific examples, but I think that it probably applies to a lot of things. Like, I know, like, one, one, one idea is the idea that, like, a doctor, he's best able to kill, but he's also best able to heal because he knows the body so well. Like, any thoughts? So it says, the serpent misled me and I ate. Everything in the world contains holy sparks. Nothing is devoid of these sparks, even wood and stones. Any thoughts? <clears throat> no. See, I understood that whole thing is, is the, the knowledge of good and evil, the knowledge of what works and what doesn't work is, is attained by the ego. And it's magnificent. Once you attain that knowledge, it's magnificent. Yet at the same time, you become aware that you're vulnerable, that it has its limitations. So then, that then you create the the clothing, the protective enclosure, to protect you from the consequences of it, it uh, of the fact that you're still vulnerable, no matter how magnificent the ego's achievements are. Yeah. So you think that that's the metaphor of the sparks? Oh, I don't know about that. All right, so it says, The serpent mis misled me, and I ate. Everything in the world contains holy sparks. Nothing is devoid of these sparks, <clears throat> even wood and stones. And all of man's actions, even in a sin he commits, there are sparks. Any thoughts? Yeah, there are sparks of the divine. So it says, What, what are the sparks in a sin? Repentance. When repenting for the sin, you elevate the sparks contained within it to the supernal world. This is the inner meaning of, is my sin too great to bear, uh, to carry, to be raised and elevated on high? Any thoughts? No. So yeah, I guess I guess that's the idea too of like, you know, breaking out of conformity can be better than, than conformity. Like you break out of conformity and then you recognize it doesn't work, but th that there's a spark in that that experience and now you, you have a greater enrichment 
It's it's like the prodigal son. Yeah. Yeah, doesn't. So spiritual vitamin. When Adam committed the sin, he experienced the divine call demanding, "Where are you? Do you realize that you have what you have done, and what you are supposed to do?" <clears throat> From time to time, you should also ask yourself, "Where am I?" Take a moment of introspection and soul searching to find yourself again. Hey, Dawson. Do you do that? Like, ask where am I in soul search and stuff? All right, hey, Dawson. No. So it says, God, do you think that's a good discipline? or? Probably. So it says, God Almighty God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are now cursed, etc. Whoever sets his eyes on something that does not belong to him will not obtain what he desires, and what he already has will be taken away from him. Hey, Dawson. Anytime you cling, cling to something as a homemade plan of promotion or protection, even that which you have is taken from you. Mm -hmm. so you get it, stuck. It says, the serpent in the Garden of Eden craved something that was out of bounds. It lusted after Eve. So the thing it wanted, it did not get. And what it already had was taken away from it. God said, any thoughts? God said, originally I said that the serpent should be the king of the animals, but you are, but you are, God said, originally, or, but you are now cursed more than all the cattle and more than all the wild animals of the field. I said, the serpent should walk with an erect posture, but now you shall go on your belly. I said that it should eat the same foods as man eats, but now it will eat dust. The serpent had planned to kill Adam and, and wed Eve, but now God said, I shall place hatred between you and between the woman and between your descendants and between her descendants. Any thoughts? Uh, you look at that metaphorically, right? But Right. Like, like what, what's, the, what's the significance of... Well, I, I heard that this is the idea that originally God wanted equality or even transpersonal to flow. And the, the and so people will think like oh well, what God wanted was to place hatred between you and the woman and between your descendants and or you know and, and to create like distinctions between the man and the woman but that was that was after the sin so what God really wants is the transpersonal any thoughts yeah that's my understanding so it says you shall eat soil all the days of your life how is this a curse soil is found almost everywhere. So it seems as if the snake is being blessed, as he never will lack nourishment. Any thoughts? No. Being surrounded by his sustenance will ensure that the snake never has to ask God to provide for him. Unlike the other animals who pray to God, as described by King David, he gives the beast his food, and to the young ravens who cry, the snake is given everything he needs. This is the curse, being cast out and sent away from God's presence. Any thoughts? It's an interesting in interpretation of that metaphor. Yeah, I've never thought of that before. It's it's kind of interesting. It makes me think of like someone who's born into like a family of too much prestige, or like too much where he gets everything handed to him, and then he never has to develop or something. You know, and he might even become yeah. arrogant. I'm thinking of like someone who's born a prince or something, or born like you know the son of Saddam Hussein or something. You know. And then he he becomes kind of like a tyrant because he son never. Fred, the, the son of Fred Trump. Yeah. 
pasa? No. So it says, after the sin, the serpent caused a spiritual pollutant called Zahuma to enter Eve's soul. This pollutant would plague all the souls of her children until it was finally eradicated when the Torah was given at Sinai. But when the people sinned with the golden calf, it returned. And we will only rid ourselves of it completely when the new era finally comes. All right, Das. Thorns and thistles will grow with your crops. When God said to Adam, thorns and thistles will grow with your crops and you will eat the herbs of the field. Tears flowed from Adam's eyes. He cried to God, Master of the universe, will my donkey and I eat from the same trough? Being confined to a donkey's diet, will we humans be reduced to having the same nature and intelligence as a donkey? Any thoughts? When God said to him, I don't remember that. Yeah, these these are all commentaries, you know, in, in, in like they call it like midrash and stuff, I think. But it says, when God said to him, "With the sweat of your face will you eat bread," assuring him of a uniquely human food that stimulates intelligence, he was relieved. Any thoughts? No. He clothed them. The Torah begins with an act of kindness and ends with an act of kindness. It begins with kindness as a verse states, God, God Almighty God made from Adam and for his wife skin-tight garments, and he clothed them. It ends with kindness as the verse states, God buried him in the valley. Any thoughts? No. It was at the end of, of, the, of days that Cain brought Abel, also, brought Abel also offered from the firstborn of his flocks. Cain came to offer sacrifices to God at the end of days, when he was old and anticipating death. Abel, however, however, had served God even when he was young and full of vigor. That was why God accepted Abel's offering. Any thoughts? Of his flocks, Abel brought an offering from the sheep, the most inferior type of cattle, demonstrating his lack of interest in worldly matters. Any thoughts? From the their fattest ones. This teaches you that when serving God, you should always choose the best. In addition to choosing the best animals for sacrifices, your houses of worship should be more beautiful than your own houses. The food that you offer to the hungry should be better than your own, and the clothes with which you clothe the poor should be finer than your own. Any thoughts? That's a good discipline. Yeah, why do you think that's a good discipline? Well... It's a way of, of reminding yourself that you're not superior. You don't deserve better than others. That can take you out of yourself, huh? Yeah. Yeah, not my house, but I'll make the house of worship better, kind of demonstrating my awareness that there's a higher uh, domain. Domain. Yeah, it doesn't. No. So why is your face dejected? The Torah seems to make patently clear the reason for Cain's dejection. God turned to Abel and his offering, but to Cain and his offering he did not turn. Was it necessary to ask him, why is your face dejected? Any thoughts? No. God was actually asking Cain a more subtle question. What is the main reason motivated by your anger and dejection? Is it because your sacrifice was rejected or because your 
brother's sacrifice was accepted, which was more painful to you? Yeah. Okay, well, what do you think about that? Any thoughts? No. So you think it was probably because his uh, because his brothers was accepted because he was jealous, huh? Well, maybe maybe there's no answer to either question. the The answer is is asking yourself the question. So it says, surely if any of inviting, inviting you to think more deeply about your actions. Any of that? Yeah, yeah. Any of that? No. Yeah. Surely if you improve yourself, you will be forgiven. God said to the Jewish people, I created the evil impulse and I created the Torah as its antidote. If you study the Torah, you will not be won over by the evil impulse as it is written. Surely if you improve yourself, you will be forgiven. But if you do not study the Torah, you will be caught by the evil impulse. As the verse continues, sin is crouching in wait. Furthermore, the evil impulse spends all of his energy trying to make you sin. As it is written, it is longing to entice you. But if you desire, you can overpower it by learning Torah, as the passage concludes. But you can rule over it. Any thoughts? <clears throat> What do you think you about that? Turn your thoughts to well, it's turning your thoughts to something higher rather than to that, that the desires that got you into trouble. What do you think of that, that idea? Furthermore, the evil impulse spends all of his energy trying to make you sin. It is longing to entice you. What, what do you think about that idea? Yeah, it, it has a lot of power. <clears throat> What is the temptations evil? have a lot of yeah. so why do why do is that is that just because of like you know chemical you know dopamine in my brain being tied to like stimuli that make me want to like watch porn when I tie it to a certain stimuli and then like the, the chemicals are releasing and it's hard to control is that what the evil impulse is or yeah that could that could be or do, is it is it is there like a demonic element and stuff like so uh, well, we know something I don't, I don't think there's any demonic element it's just it's just the ego trying to s sustain the lie hmm. yeah and there's nothing wrong with you know sometimes you know the prodigal son he got he went into the thing and he enriched himself and that that's a thing like yeah. I would say that also the evil impulse would also be staying completely you know rigid that's also an aspect of the e evil impulse to, to, to be yeah. self-righteous or whatever right any thoughts on it yeah so it says your sin is crouching in wait at the entrance it is far easier to hold fast to your values when you are within your comfort zone than when you are outside it sin is crouching in wait at the entrance the evil impulse waits for you to emerge from your comfort zone to introduce obstacles and challenges. Any thoughts? <clears throat> God said to Cain, where is Abel your brother? He said, I don't know. I am I my brother's guardian? 
in this conversation, God and Cain were discussing who was responsible for Abel's death. God asked Cain, where is Abel your brother? Also, it says uh, 412. After the sin, the forces of good and evil became inextricably bound together. Abel's soul was primarily good with a little evil mixed in, and Cain's soul was primarily evil with a kernel of good. In fact, that kernel of good in Cain's soul was of the highest quality as he was the firstborn. Any thoughts? So it says, what have you done? You had a choice between killing him and allowing him to live, and you chose to kill him. Clearly, you are responsible for his death. Cain, on the other hand, shifted the responsibility to God, replying in the spirit of the t uh, teaching that no man on earth so much as strikes his finger unless it is ordained from heaven. Any thoughts? God made me do it. Mm -hmm. He felt that since Abel's death was part of God's plan, he was only the messenger. Therefore, he replied, Am I my brother's guardian? It is you, God, who is in charge of the world. Therefore, I should not be liable to punishment. Any thoughts? Instead of the devil made me do it, you made me do it, God. Yeah. Any thoughts on that? That was my destiny. Yeah. So why should I be held responsible? Yeah. Any thoughts? Well, you see, you see, the thing is, like, it, I'm not going to deny that there is destiny. There could be destiny, but that doesn't negate that you can, you know, make good decisions. Like, any thoughts on that? No. But... <clears throat> But you, you, you don't look at it that way. You you say that the, 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 this was about, he said, am I my brother's guardian? And you say he was right. He wasn't his brother's guardian. His brother is his own guardian, right? No. I, I understand. No. I, I am my brother's brother or I am my brother. Right. Yeah. So killing him probably. To think that I'm my brother's. To think that I'm my brother's keeper—that's dualistic thinking. So, but you would still say that perhaps killing his brother was not in the flow, or maybe it was. What do you think? Any thoughts? Uh, I, I don't think it was. But then, what do I know? Yeah. So it says. However, this logic is clearly flawed. Our freedom to choose between good or evil is absolute, and we are held responsible for all our deeds. Does. Yeah. See, I don't think we're held responsible for our deeds, but we're held responsible for the the way of seeing things that led to those deeds. Mm -hmm. And you upgrade that by studying Torah and stuff, or what? Yeah. Exactly. So say, By exposure, exploration, and acceleration. Any thoughts on No. So repentance is effective in every case and whatever the transgression, for repentance is one of God's commandments, and God does not require us the impossible. Any thoughts? Yep. Repentance. I am responsible for my software. So it says your brother's blood and the blood of his would-be descendants is crying out. In monetary cases, if a witness testifies falsely, it is sinful. However, he can still pay compensation to the person who suffered a loss through the false testimony and the sin is forgiven. 
with capital cases, however, the false witness cannot correct his wrong. He is held responsible for the blood of the man who was executed through his false testimony and for blood of the victim's lost descendants that would have been born. Any thoughts? Well, again, that's that's blaming him for what he did. Yeah, instead of looking at the software. Yeah. But yeah, so we don't want to punish him for like the descendants. Yeah, I mean that's 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 tragic and everything. And I mean, but I, I'm just thinking like, like, you know, hopefully not. But like, let's say someone killed me, like you know, that that's a lot that was lost in terms of like you know all the study I did, all this stuff, you know. Then what, isn't that kind of a tragedy? Like then then what what what's a comp like what happens in, as a result of that? Like any thoughts? simply be your destiny yeah he was an agent of your destiny so but but regardless you would say that you don't want to punish or harm hurt the killer you want to help him to you know somehow upgrade his consciousness exactly <clears throat> yeah doesn't no it says, is my sin too great to bear? Cain was the first person to repent before God. God set him it as an example for all future penitents. Cain's repentance consisted of three practical phases. One, confession. Cain declared to God, my sin is too great to bear. Exile. He dwelt in the land of the wanderers. Any thoughts? No. Three, rebound into positive action. There is a tremendous temptation for the penitent to remain low-spirited for the rest of his days. The mere thought of his past deeds, which cannot be erased from his mind, is sufficient to plague him with feelings of inferiority. Obviously, in the midst of such a mood, he will find it difficult to be active within the world, and as he will be constantly wondering, who am I to carry out holy activity like this? Any thoughts? Yeah, well, again, that's focusing on the deed and what was done rather than on the software that led to that. Yeah, so you can say I'm not that. So you deep. can't do it. You can't do anything about the deed. It's already done. Yeah. See, that reminds me of that definition of forgiveness. Forgiveness is letting go of your desire for a better yesterday. Mm. Yeah, doesn't. So the challenge of the penitent is that when his repentance is complete, he must propel himself outwards into the world. He must free himself from his feelings of inadequacy and start to contribute constructively to the world in the most expansive manner possible. Any thoughts? Had to go for it. The Hebrew term used in reference to Cain's vengeance is yukam. This alludes to Cain's future reincarnations. Yithro, Jethro, okay, Yithro, who's Jethro, Korah, and Misri. The Egyptian woman who Moses killed. Oh, no, the, no, the Egyptian who Moses killed. Any thoughts? No. Thus, we find that all after repenting, Cain propelled himself back into the world. He fathered a son, Enoch. He built a city, uh, an ambitious project aimed at repairing the world that he had damaged. He named the city after his son's name, Enoch. 
Not only did he free himself from feeling of lowliness, he went to the opposite extreme and publicized his achievements boldly to the entire world. And thus, then God's name became profaned by people calling humans and idols by the name of God. In the days of Enoch, people made a serious mistake. They erroneously reasoned that since God created the skies and spheres as part of nature and placed them on high, giving them dignity. And since the skies and spheres are servants who serve him, it would be appropriate to laud, glorify, and honor them in the same way that a king wants to honor the servants who serve him. This is the fundamental basis of idolatry. Any thoughts? No. I was thinking, I mentioned to Michael the other day, we were, we were walking down Hollywood and I was looking at all the, the stars on the ground, you know, the Hollywood stars. And, and you know, I think there's, yeah. there's, there's an explicit connection between like, you know, worship of the stars and worship of these, you know, Hollywood stars, kind of. What do you think about that? I never thought about that. So it says, this is the fundamental basis of ideology. Yet they did not deny the existence of God by saying that only such and such a star exists. But you see, but, but they're right though. Like the star is a part of God. You know, God says, I am the morning star. Right. So it is, but it also isn't. Like any thoughts on that? No. So it says, however, after some time, false prophets arose and began to claim that God had come to them in prophecy and insisted that people worship a, a certain star. They would bring sacrifices to it and prostrate themselves before it until they formed figures and temples in the star's likeness. Any thoughts? No. Eventually, the people were taught to believe that it was a star that brought about good and evil and that it was fitting to serve and fear it. They were assured that with service and worship would come great wealth and success. Through the passage of time, the honored name of God was forgotten by all of nature and people recognized only their forms of wood and stone. There was not a single person that acknowledged God except for famed individuals such as Enoch, Methuselah, Noah, Shem, and Eber. Things continued in this manner until Abraham arrived. Any thoughts? So Adam knew knew his wife again and bore a son. She named him Seth. Abel's soul was mainly good with the little evil. The good from Abel's soul was passed on to Seth, whereas the evil was diverted to Balaam's soul. Later, Abel's soul, which had now achieved its full tikkun, spiritual healing, would be reincarnated into Moses. Thus, the three letters of the word Moshe are an acronym of Moshe, Shet, Seth, and Hevel, Abel. Any thoughts? So I, I think it's interesting. Yeah, I think it's. I had never seen that connection. Yeah, I think it's interesting to, to to think of it in terms of like a symphony of sounds and stuff, and how that there is kind of like a. It's kind of like an orchestra going on, and and there's these like you know these deep, like like in a dream, there's these deep symbolic connections going on that are really beyond anything rational. Any thoughts? Oh, I think that's that's accurate. So it says, calling by the name of God. This was the first abuse of the Kabbalah through which it is possible to manipulate the flow of divine energy to the world by chanting various Hebrew names of God. Through this technique, the people were able to channel divine light into their idols to make them effective. Any thoughts? No. And I remember you said that the, that the meaning behind that was that if you make idols effective, well, the, the, the significance of that is that, yeah, there is, well, I would say that there is 
a higher aspiration in worshiping an idol and that everything is one. And if you, you, you're, you're doing these divine names into the idol and then you're saying, okay, that is one with God. So th there, there's potency behind that. And also the idea of like the idols help bring about oneness and bring people. You, you could still get in the flow when you're worshiping an idol. You know, so that we don't want to judge people who worship idols because you could still get in the flow because everything is one and somebody can still lose himself in that process and get to the truth maybe even more so than someone who's not worshiping an idol. What do you think about that? Any thoughts? Yeah. Yeah. See, worshiping an idol can be a very effective discipline. Any thoughts there? Is calling humans and idols by the name of God. Not only is there no deity or power other than God, but in fact, there is no true existence at all outside God. The fact that we see a physical world is only due to our inability to see the godly energy which enlivens it. In truth, however, we are totally subsumed with the absolute oneness of God. Any thoughts? I think that's. It's hard to see. It's hard to see the eternal and invisible. I think background reality. Yeah, I think that that's what the quadrant model really kind of represents and presents. Like, any thoughts on that? Like, we're, every, I don't know about that. What, what do you mean? You know? be. Because everything's really saturated with the, with, the, with the pattern. If you look through my stuff, like, every little mundane thing, you think that it's not all connected, but it is all saturated and permeated with that. Any thoughts? With that, with that one yeah, supernatural all, pattern. It's all one. It's all one. Yeah, with, it's one and it's also separate. You know, that one pattern is four and one. But you see the, the diversity and the unity combined in a kind of mystical manner. Any thoughts on that? No. So it says, in his efforts of atonement after the sin, Adam separated from his wife for 130 years. But this act of piety inadvertently led to far-reaching catastrophic results. From Adam's involuntary sins, deeply dysfunctional souls came into being. Every soul must have a male and female element, which is normally derived from the pleasure of each of the parents during conception. Any thoughts? No. In this case, however, in the absence of Adam's partner, the female component of the, these souls was substituted with forces from Calippa, the demonic realm. The result over such a prolonged period was a host of lofty souls so deeply dysfunctional that they would take many generations of reincarnation to heal, as we shall later see. Any thoughts? Adam's offspring. The generation of man are all descended from Adam's son, Seth, whereas the descendants of Cain died out. Seth represents man's quality of building, propagating, and healing the world. Cain, on the other hand, is indica indicative of man's tendency to struggle with himself, toiling with his own darker side, and a search for personal perfection. Seth was world-oriented. Cain was self-oriented. Any thoughts? interesting which was the correct approach presumably seth was correct since we see that the descendants of seth prevailed whereas those of cain did not however the outward outward world oriented approach of seth was not entirely correct for even a person whose goals are to cultivate the world around him still needs to strive for personal perfection in his own life his worldliness needs to be tempered with inwardness his pr uh, productive coupled with piety his productivity coupled with piety any thoughts that's true. To see, once you become aware that you are mutual participants in the world, it's easy to settle for that and think of it as an ego accomplishment. 
You still need to add the other dimension, the next dimension. And what's that? An awareness that that we are all one. We're yeah. not just mutual participants in something larger. We are agents of something larger. We are something larger. Yeah, that's not... So even Seth, the pioneer of all civilizations, had a descendant, Enoch, who was a total isolationist. In fact, Enoch was so detached from the world that he would have become corrupted with the slightest exposure to humanity. So God act, acted mercifully and took him away before his time. And yet he was a descendant of Seth, the founder of humanity. Any thoughts? No. But this precisely is the point. The quality of Seth within us, the outwardness and ambition, should harbor within it the quality of Enoch, inwardness and piety. Any thoughts? No. We should study Torah expansively, aiming to acquire the vast... Or vast uh, amounts of knowledge, but at least occasionally we should study with without any ulterior motive at all. We should observe the commandments to make ourselves better people, but sometimes we should observe commandments simply because it is God's will. Any thoughts? Yeah, instead of uh, studying the Torah to achieve a goal, you study the Torah because you want to study the Torah. Any thoughts, sir? So that, that's that's the flow, right? They, they say that that's like one quality of the flow is you do it for the sake of itself. No other sake, but yeah. just doing it. So like, any thoughts? That's it. In that, so there's no goal. So in, in that way, we ensure that Seth within us gives birth to the occasional Enoch. He created him with a resemblance demut to God. Here man is described as being in the resemblance demut of God, but elsewhere he is described as being in God's mold. What inner significance do these two terms carry? Any thoughts? No. So godliness is, is the actual reality of all things, except that it was God's will that the spiritual should be hidden in a material frame. Through mindfulness, you can reveal the spiritual by concentrating on the predominance of form over matter, the spiritual over material, the soul over body, until you perceive how the material is being constantly brought into existence as in the six days of creation. Any thoughts? Selim refers to the expressionless body, like an infant who is just born. Afterwards, when your desires gradually expand, you adopt what we call a demut. The same process is mirrored in your spiritual life. The first drop of Torah that enters into you is your Selim, and the desire with which you yearn for further words of Torah is your demut. Any thoughts? Our verse teaches, on, that day, on the day that God created man, he created him with a demut to God. The main point is in creating you was in order that you should desire to grow spiritually through increasing your Torah knowledge. And this is the account of Adam's offspring. If your demut will be stimulated and developed with Torah study, you will count many years and generations of offspring. Any thoughts? No. So that's like, it's like paradoxical. Like you, you would think, oh no, I shouldn't spend time studying. I should spend my time making money and, you know, and trying to, you know, pick up women and then I'll have a lot of offspring and stuff. But he's saying, no, cultivate the transpersonal consciousness and then blessings come. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. So it says Enoch followed God. And, huh? Yes. Seek ye first the kingdom and its righteousness and all these other things shall be yours as well. 
So it says, Enoch followed God and he was no longer around, for God had taken him. Enoch followed God, but he did not concern himself too much with the other people in his generation. Abraham, on the other hand, dedicated with effort to draw his generation closer to God. Consequently, even though Enoch followed God, as soon as he left the world, he was no longer around. His memory did not live on, for he was le he, for he had left no one to follow in path. But Abraham's efforts in outreach assured that his memory and message remain alive for eternity. Any thoughts? So it's saying like, you know, also be a part of the world and like, you know, engage. Don't just be, you know, isolationist like Enoch, like any doesn't. Yeah, that's to becoming strong enough. You got to go through the process of growing up and becoming strong enough to fly. It, 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 the same thing happened with Shiva in the Hindu stuff where Shiva wanted to be a, a hermit. But then Parvati came and he had to marry Parvati and go out into the world like any doesn't. So it says God was... Okay, that's, that's probably about enough for today. Okay, can we, can we just finish this one page, Reverend? Okay. So it says God was consoled by the fact that he had made him, made man upon the earth. God was consoled by the fact that he had made man from the earth, which had imparted him with a tendency to laziness and depression, like the heavy earth. If God had not included such a significant earthly component in man, he would not have become corrupt. So corrupt, any thoughts? God said, I will wash away man whom I created from upon the face of the earth, man as well as cattle, creeping things and birds of the skies. Why were all the animals destroyed? Because the only way to save the animals from the flood would have been through a miracle since they inhabited the earth along with man. But Noah found favor in the eyes of God. We all have at least one spark within us through which we will find favor in God's eyes. That spark is the secret of man's continued existence. Any thoughts? All right, that was it. Oh, I, yeah, that's it for now. Okay. All right. All right. Thanks, everybody. Have a good day. Yep. Bye.